Hey friends, welcome to the 3x5 Leadership Podcast, where we champion intentional leaders who create significant impacts. In this show, we seek to share simple, practical strategies to help you live, to lead, and to learn more intentionally. You can learn more about us and explore all of the resources that we have designed to help you become a more intentional leader by going to our website at www dot three x five leadership dot com or you can check out the link in the show notes i'm jj morgan a member of the three by five leadership team i really appreciate you joining us today in this episode we're going to discuss decision making do you have an actual process for making decisions well after today's episode you'll have two separate frameworks to enable you to become a better decision maker we'll provide an overview of rational and naturalistic decision-making, describe the key differences between the two, and share frameworks designed to help you implement each of them. Finally, we'll talk about the reality of decision fatigue and ways to avoid this, whether in yourself as a leader or to help your subordinates avoid decision fatigue as well. So let's get to it. We constantly make decisions. What to eat or not for breakfast. What to wear for work. Which route to take for work. Whether a meeting needs to be virtual or in person or even held at all. How to respond to that question from your employer, from your customer, from your spouse, from your kid, from your partner. You get the idea. You name it and we're constantly making decisions. In fact, our decision making is so prolific that some researchers estimate we make over 35,000 decisions in a single day. Given that figure, it's evident that some decisions are obviously made subconsciously, while others demand our absolutely undivided attention and emotion. So, how do we go about ensuring that we are making well-thought and effective decisions? Before we can dive into decision-making frameworks that can enable us to be more effective decision-makers, it's important to understand that there really are two broad different approaches to decision-making. These two approaches are classified by various research and literature as the naturalistic approach and the rational approach. In naturalistic decision-making, sometimes referred to as type 1 thinking, we tend to rely heavily on our instinct. This instinct is the product of using our memory to develop scripts and schemes for how we have seen similar situations develop in the past and the associated outcome with those scripts or schemes. You see, much like a predictable movie follows a script, the villain threatens the innocent people, the hero comes and saves the day, good triumphs over evil, justice and peace are restored. You get the idea here. Much like that, our minds have an amazing capacity to recognize patterns and develop a script that enables us to make decisions in a rapid fashion. This is where we come up with the idea of following your gut or trusting your instinct. You see, in type 1 thinking or naturalistic thinking, there are clearly some advantages. This type of thinking is quick. It's based on relevant past experiences and it reduces the overall cognitive load that decisions can otherwise require from us. But it's not all good news. 
This type of thinking also has downsides when it comes to decision making. You see, much like the surprise twist that can occur in a well-directed movie, things don't always follow the script that we expect in life. We can be misled by our preconceived notions, by our biases, and by some faulty assumptions that draw parallels where none should exist. Now, what's the second type of thinking when it comes to our decision-making? This other approach to decision-making is the rational approach, which we sometimes refer to as type 2 thinking. You see, rational decision-making is a very process-oriented way of approaching decisions. We follow a process that is designed to gather information, to challenge, and to confirm assumptions, to reduce risk, and to build the overall shared understanding of the team in the context that we are within. This is the type of decision-making that has us making pro and con lists, weighing multiple options against each other, considering trade-offs. It's likely the type of thought process that you used if you were selecting a degree program, looking at places to live, considering a career opportunity. You see, this process is exceedingly thorough by design. You're likely thinking, well, thorough translates to time-consuming, and you're correct. You see, that's one of the biggest drawbacks to the rational decision-making process. It is both time and resource-intensive, and often as leaders, the truth is we just find ourselves constrained in both of those arenas. So now that we've talked about our naturalistic or type 1 thinking and our rational or type 2 thinking, and we've given ourselves an understanding of both of those, we can surmise that both of them have their place in the leader's tool bag when it comes to decision making. Remember, naturalistic decision making is a type of decision making that's likely well suited to situations in which we have significant experience, time and resource constrained environments low-stakes decisions. On the other hand, rational decision-making is likely well-suited to new environments in which we lack experience or exposure, decisions where several options present themselves and there's no clear choice, and situations where we have the time and the resources to dedicate to further exploration and development of our options. You probably already recognize that we aren't so lucky to have situations as leaders that are explicitly clear-cut. Sometimes we might have to make a high-stakes decision, but we don't have any time. So if we find ourselves in situations that seem ambiguous in between the two, what are we to do? If we find ourselves in circumstances where there are two things that I want you to remember. First of all, as a leader, it's your responsibility to make tough decisions. And second, there are some frameworks that you can apply to enable you to fulfill that responsibility. There are two frameworks that we're going to outline to help us make decisions. The first follows the naturalistic thinking, and this is our gut decision-making or naturalistic framework. This framework has three components to it. Experience, recognize, and act. Let's talk about experience first. When we experience something, we are encouraging you to take in the situation. Consider the setting and the context. Who are the stakeholders? What is the overall context? 
what kind of time and resourcing is available to you. After you've experienced, we then encourage you to recognize. You see, what is it about this situation that has similarities to other situations you've been in? Are there quote-unquote rules that you recognize? What about this situation maybe differs from where you've been before? And how might those differences impact your decision? Once you've recognized a potential script, the third step in this framework is to act. Based on your assessment of the experience and your recognition of similarities and differences, is there now a mental model or a script that you can implement in making this decision? So you see, the naturalistic framework is really focused on being able to draw on those past experiences in a rapid fashion in a resource-constrained environment. You experience, you recognize, and you act. Now, on the flip side, you have the rational framework. This is our data-heavy or data-informed decision-making type of framework that we often associate with high-stakes decision where I have a significant amount of resources on hand. And in this framework, there are really four fundamental steps. The first step to applying the rational framework is to identify the problem or opportunity. The second step is to generate alternative solutions. The third step is to evaluate those alternatives and select a solution. And then finally, the fourth step is to implement your solution and evaluate. Let's walk through those together. Step one, identify the problem or the opportunity. In this step, we want to ask ourselves, what's the real issue that I'm dealing with? And then we want to ask ourselves again, is that the real issue that I'm dealing with? Am I sure that's it? If you can, in this identify the problem or opportunity step, we want to spend time asking ourselves, what else? This allows us to ensure that we've correctly identified the problem. On the flip side, what this opportunity might be is also worth looking at. You see, it's not always just identifying a problem. If we have the ability, we might be able to identify opportunities, which merits an entire sidebar conversation or observation that you can unlock some incredibly amazing creativity in your team and yourself when you learn to frame a problem as an opportunity. But we'll get to that another time. Once we've identified the problem or the opportunity, the second step in this framework is to generate alternative solutions. You see, this step is entirely focused on creating options for yourself and your team. What are the different approaches that you could take? What are the different actions you could take? Is doing nothing maybe an option for you and your team? You see, when we're generating multiple solutions, it's key to ensure that those solutions are in fact distinguishable from each other and that they're also achievable in and of themselves. Once we've identified the problem or opportunity and then we've generated alternative options, the third step is to evaluate those options and select a solution. How are you going to compare each solution against the others? Could you weigh different elements of the solution and then score each solution based on your weighted criteria? You see, this is where you have the opportunity to really thoroughly start to assess costs, risks, rewards, 
and impacts to your overall mission or organization based on the selected course of action that you might take. This is also the step, however, where your biases can really start to show up. So be aware of that. With that said, this step results in you choosing a specific action. Remember, even a decision not to act should still be a deliberate decision. And we finally now hit our fourth step. The fourth step is where we implement that chosen solution and evaluate. And that last portion, that and evaluate, is critical, team. Once you've chosen a solution, you need to put it into motion. You need to make sure that at this point, you've assembled your resourcing that you need, you've set appropriate controls in place, and you have a valid mechanism for assessing the effect of your solution. The evaluation piece is absolutely critical because it helps us not only manage risk, it also helps us seize opportunities and be a learning organization. Now, these frameworks are not infallible, but they are absolutely helpful as we seek to think critically and creatively in order to make important decisions. In addition to applying these frameworks, there are a few questions that I personally have found really helpful when I'm making a decision. Some of those questions include, hey, when does this decision actually need to be made? You see, sometimes our team comes to us wanting a decision on something, but it's not inherently tied to time. And so I like to ask them to step back and, and let me know, when do you need this decision by? Another question is asking about risk and understanding what the risk associated with this decision or this course of action might be. And then a follow-up to that is, what can we do about that risk? Are we accepting it? Are we mitigating it? How are we mitigating it? Is that within our control? Do we have those resources available? I also like to ask, if I choose this option that's presented, what impact might that have on any follow-on actions that are available to us? Am I limiting ourselves from future options? Am I expanding or opening up doors and opportunities for future options? And then finally, and perhaps most importantly, I like to ask whether it's of my team or of myself, is there an ethical component to this decision? You see, that last question regarding ethical decisions is critical. As leaders, we have a moral imperative to lead ethically. If we have frameworks for decision-making that we can apply to various situations, well, we also need a framework that we can apply specifically to ethically challenging situations. You can look to a future podcast episode where we'll introduce an ethical decision-making framework that we found helpful. Finally, I want to close out by talking about this idea of decision fatigue. Decision fatigue is this concept that after making multiple decisions, your ability to make additional quality decisions over the course of the day deteriorates. It gets worse. In short, you either will start to make worse decisions as the day progresses, or you might find yourself unable to make any decision at all. I am convinced that my kids face this every Friday night when it's time for a family movie night. We'll have dinner prepped, 
we'll get ready to sit down and watch a movie together, and my kids will spend 25 minutes down selecting their options to a handful of candidates, and then they'll continue to cycle through each of these choices until inevitably they reach a point of either frustration or being absolutely overwhelmed. What's the result? Well, it's either an argument over who gets to pick or they surrender to the age-old rock-paper-scissors to determine what movie to watch. You see, this might be a silly example, but it's also incredibly relatable. How many times have you hit a point in your decision-making where you're either too frustrated to think straight, too overwhelmed by the options, or the only suitable framework that you have is the equivalent of rock-paper-scissors? You've likely been here before, and you'll certainly find yourself here again. Remember, if research indicates that we make over 35,000 decisions in a single day, well, we have to recognize that those conscious decisions that we are making within that group will be taxing, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. Our decision fatigue can often be the result of stress, of taxed mental capacity at the moment, or even of plain exhaustion. And so as a result, we find ourselves either overwhelmed, procrastinating, distracted, taking entirely too much time to focus on the small minutiae and details of a decision, or even feeling uncertain and unsatisfied with our choice after we've made the decision. So if you find yourself in a role where you're constantly required to make decisions, and those decisions have significant impacts, how do you avoid decision fatigue? Well, here are a few simple recommendations for you. Number one, Rest. Yes, you heard me right. Rest. In the busyness of our culture, we seem to push rest to the bottom of our priority list. But simply giving your body and your brain the opportunity to recover is an essential element in making good decisions. While you don't have the luxury of sprawling on your office floor and taking a power nap every time you feel tired at work, you do have the ability to prioritize a healthy amount of sleep on a regular and a consistent basis. You do have the ability to mentally and emotionally unplug from work at times to allow yourself rest. The number two way that we recommend avoiding decision fatigue is to delegate decisions. We firmly believe that a key part of leadership is developing and empowering others. How might you practically do that by delegating certain decisions? Are there product features, implementation steps, or some other elements of decisions that you might be able to delegate to others on your team? As a leader, it's your job to communicate the why, determine the what, but delegate the how. And in delegating the how, delegating the decisions that are subordinate to some of the decisions you might need to make, you can now help yourself avoid decision fatigue while also developing your team. Our third recommendation is to use a process. You see, we've spent a good portion of this episode unpacking two frameworks that can be applied to making decisions. So put them into practice. I'd encourage you to write out the steps for either of these frameworks on a three by five card, and then take that card with you into the next meeting that you have. As you come across a decision, map it out against one of those frameworks on the 3x5 card, and then put it into practice. And then our fourth recommendation for you is to engage with a decision partner. This decision partner might be a coworker, a teammate, a partner or spouse, or even a coach. 
share with this decision partner the decision you're faced with. Outline the process that you're currently using to approach and analyze that decision, and then talk through it with them. See what kind of insights, perspective that they might provide. As you're doing so, be humble and be receptive to feedback. Feedback's a gift. This provides an amazing benefit to you because not only does this give you perspective from someone else, but it also serves to strengthen your sense of connection to others. And when we strengthen our connection, it increases our mental resiliency and our health. So there's our four recommendations for how you can avoid decision fatigue as you get after the important work of being a leader who makes decisions that can create significant impacts. So as we close, we encourage you to keep this in mind. We all make decisions. Some are seemingly small. Others can be literally life-altering for yourself or those around you. So when you find yourself facing a decision, determine whether that decision is best suited for a naturalistic decision-making approach or a rational decision-making approach. Then apply the appropriate framework to enable you to make better decisions. Ensure that you ask yourself if there's an ethical component to the decision you're making. And if so, determine how you can apply an ethical decision-making framework to help you process and think through this. To ensure you're in the best condition to make decisions, avoid your decision fatigue by getting rest, by delegating decisions as appropriate, by employing a process, and by finding a decision partner. Making decisions requires intentionality. And we at 3x5 Leadership want to encourage and equip you to be an intentional leader who creates significant impacts. Friends, if you found this helpful, would you make the simple decision to share this with someone else? Send a link to the episode, and then take a moment to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever catcher you use to listen to us. We would also really appreciate you taking an additional minute to leave us a review. You see, reviews are how other leaders just like you can find us. Remember, you can also find great additional content from our team on our website at www.3x5leadership.com. Finally, if you're interested in accessing exclusive content and engaging with our team on a deeper level, as well as supporting the work that we're doing at 3x5 Leadership, then we invite you to join our Patreon community at www patreon.com slash 3x5 leadership. Again, you can find a link there in our show notes. Team, I just want to thank you once again for joining us as we seek to help intentional leaders create significant impacts. Until next time, take care and lead well.